Welcome to Central Valley Podcasts, developed by Fresno Madero Medical Society physician members. My name is Nicole Butler, and I'm the executive director here at the Medical Society. Today, we're here to talk to Dr. Patricia Felton, and the topic is going to fall under women's health. And she is here to talk about hormone replacement therapy. Welcome, Dr. Felton. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. And um, this is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. I wanted to start out a little bit about telling you um, how I became interested in medicine and how I ended up in Fresno, because it is an unusual destination for some people. It is, <laughs> for sure. So I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and was always interested in science and medicine. And even from the age of 10, I used to run around the neighborhood and try to bandage or splint or wrap up um, any of my neighbor kids who would sit down long enough for me to do that. As I grew in my interest in medicine, I ended up going to medical school at the University of Michigan and um, decided to do my residency in obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Minnesota. There I uh, continued my passion and interest in women's health and wellness and also in the importance of hormone therapy in a woman's life, and also for men, as I've come to uh, work more in that area in Fresno. But I ended up coming to Fresno because my family was here, and I realized that I could better uh, take care of my um, mom and sister while I was here in Fresno rather than in Minneapolis. So I came and started my OBGYN practice here and then over the last three years decided that there is so much confusing information out there, both from studies and the internet and from um, helpful friends and relatives who have uh, ideas about hormone therapy that I wanted to really focus on that for um, general health reasons and also to take away fear and anxiety because it's been known, well, at least for the past 10 years since the Women's Health Initiative came out, when women hear the words hormones, they go into a panic. Oh my gosh, they've heard this causes cancer, it can cause a heart attack, and why would anybody ever take that? And it's really done a disservice to women's health and, and the benefits that can be achieved with hormone therapy by creating all this confusion. And so I like to talk with women initially about the, um, their own history. If I see a patient in the office, I want her to come and tell me about her background, her history, what her hopes and dreams are in terms of her health. And although every hope and dream is actually based on having good health, so I really feel strongly about that. And anyway, they tell me their history, and then I um, talk about risk-benefit of hormone therapy and in great detail and try to um, quell some of the fears that have arisen from on this topic and to show how the benefit would apply to them and if they are candidates for hormone therapy. Some people have different health risk factors that would make them not an ideal candidate, at least for some types of therapy, but then there are others to choose from. So I need to sort out who needs what and how to best accomplish that and to treat their symptoms so that they can achieve 
lifelong um, health and quality of life. Okay. Uh, Ashley, I'm, I'm really excited that you're here to talk about this today because myself, I am in my late 40s. And so I am at the probably, I feel like I'm at the very beginning of um, going through menopause. And I think it, I felt like it came on quickly. Um, can you kind of explain to me what what's the average age that a woman can go through, start going through menopause or where, you know, what does that menopause phase look like? Yeah, that's a good question. So women can start having symptoms uh, way before they actually stop having periods. So the mean age of menopause, meaning um, cessation of periods, is 51. But symptoms can occur anywhere from 45 to 55, and cycles, menstrual cycles can become erratic, and the symptoms can come and go. So in the beginning, there may be symptoms more related to the cycle at times when there is lower estrogen level, like at the time of the menstrual flow, as opposed to mid-cycle when the hormones are at the highest peak. Women who have um, then progressed on to not having periods, the traditional definition is a year without a period is menopause. But as I said, the hormones fluctuate, and many women become symptomatic even before they stop having periods altogether. And if they're symptomatic, I don't want to tell them, well, you have to wait a year until I know you're in menopause. We don't need right. to do that. Okay. So are there, you know, with the exception of, of uh, a lost period or if, if it's delayed, is there other signs and symptoms that somebody in the early stages would notice or should look for? Well, one of the easiest hallmarks to identify is a hot flash or night sweat. So in the past, like in the 1950s and 1960s, the indication for hormone therapy was when women had hot flashes and night sweats, and that was um, when they could start hormone therapy. Now we realize that hormones affect every system and every tissue in the body practically, so there's way more to deal with than just hot flashes and night sweats. So other symptoms that women can have is um, increasing difficulty with sleeping, um, feeling more moodiness or irritability or can't focus or forget why they opened the refrigerator door or why they walked into a room. And it's not because they have the onset of dementia. It's because they haven't been able to focus or get enough sleep. But those are symptoms that are very troubling for someone's quality of life clearly. So if we can sort that out and decide if it really is related to hormones or what other stress factors are in their life, then that's an important piece to put together. Okay. You've just explained the last four years of my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So let's, let's talk about the hormone replacement therapy now. Um, and I, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm kind of naive. I don't even know what hormone replacement therapy is. Well, as women and men continue to age, their hormone levels drop. And so women do make estrogen and testosterone in their ovaries. When the ovaries stop functioning, we can tell that by the hallmark symptom of not having periods. But for women who've had a surgical removal of the uterus and or ovaries, it's a little bit more difficult to really get that telltale sign of when they've stopped having hormone production. So um, the ideal with hormone therapy is to replace that which has been lost to maintain health and um, vitality. My friends call it vim and vigor. So that they 
don't have to spend half of their life without the benefits of hormone therapy or without the benefits of hormones in particular. So um, once the ovaries stop making estrogen and testosterone, the testosterone is still produced in the adrenal glands that sit on top of the kidney, and the adrenal glands produce testosterone. Some of that testosterone is converted to estrogen by an enzyme called aromatase. So even women who've been five years out from having a, a period still have some estrogen and some testosterone from that other hormone source, but the levels are clearly much, much lower than they had been during the woman's reproductive life. And because um, we do live so much longer after the cessation of the majority of our hormone production, it's important to look at the impact of those um, losses of hormones and to figure out how to best manage that and replace it. So the hormones initially, um, like pellet therapy, which I'll talk more about in a minute, actually began in 1939. But in the United States, where the pharmaceutical companies started producing the Premarin and Provera, which is the synthetic hormones, that became the gold standard of hormone replacement therapy. And it has been in the more recent years, past uh, 15 to 20, that women have been focused more on the benefits of the natural hormones, or in other words, bioidentical hormones, as opposed to the synthetic and has given rise to um, types of hormone therapy that are available now, including um, estrogen patches, uh, oral estrogen, uh, which is natural estradiol, but it's still the oral route, um, creams, gels, and a number of other um, ways to get the hormones. More recently on the horizon, and more particularly in the eastern and southern part of the United States, uh, women have turned more toward pellet therapy for replacement. And this pellet therapy is is uh, very intriguing, and I became interested in it too because of the, the benefits that it has over the traditional oral or synthetic um, hormone therapy. So the pellets are actually um, produced in a compounding pharmacy. They're compounded by machine into little cylinders, smaller than a tic-tac, if you know what that, how big that is. And they're inserted under the skin on the upper part of the buttock. Um, and the insertion is done every three to four months, depending on how often the woman needs uh, her next dose of therapy. The pellet um, amount of the hormone is decided or calculated by the woman's age, weight, blood levels, and severity of symptoms. So, for example, when one breaks down the stages of menopause, which according to the North American Menopause Society, there are 12 stages, but clinically that isn't so important because um, we go more by uh, just what's going on in that woman's life at the time as opposed to actually pinpointing it into a time frame. It's important for research purposes, but for clinical purposes, I look at the other symptoms that we talked about. And so I look at symptoms as well as blood levels because uh, one blood level for an individual might be completely fine and they don't have any symptoms at all, where that blood level for another individual, it may not be enough at all. So I, I do base it on those four factors. The um, hormones are plant-based that are used in the pellets, and the 
the reason why some there's been some controversy about compounded hormones is because of the um, unknown or different sources of the actual hormone itself. So, for example, the creams that are compounded here in the in Fresno, for example, the the pharmacies are great; they do a wonderful job. But I didn't know what their source material was. Where did they get that source that they then mixed up? very carefully here in Fresno. So that's when I started to research this uh, company that I now partner with. It's called Hormone Therapy Centers of America, where they have their compounding pharmacy, which is one of the biggest in the United States, test their hormone preparations at a lab that the FDA uses. In other words, it's tested for purity and concentration. And the FDA also comes into that um, compounding pharmacy and test the area for sterility because it's really important to have those safeguards for the therapy so I know what the patients are getting and I'm giving them the proper dose and the proper um, um, compound and it's safe. Okay. Um, I want to go back and I, I have questions about that but I want to go back to how it's administered. So you're telling me that it's a it's a tic-tac pellet that's administered above the buttocks area. Yes. And how I mean is it through a shot? Is it are do you go does the person go under a short yeah. anesthesia? How how is it administered? So um there's um a little uh instrument that's um a stainless steel instrument that's sterilized that actually is inserted under the skin. I use a local uh, lidocaine to numb the skin so that um, the, it really has very, very minimal discomfort to the patient once the lidocaine is in, that's, that's about it. So it goes under the skin and it's a cylinder so that the little pellets are slide into that cylinder. Then the cylinder comes out and there's nothing left in the body that's foreign um, or, you know, foreign to the body okay in other words yeah. okay so that was my question because you yeah. said tic tac i just wanted it's not an encasing necessarily so it's more like it's like a pellet right and so there's no casing that has to dissolve it's just the hormone itself and it's it's compacted with a little bit of cholesterol actually is the okay. is the biochemical compound to hold it together to hold it together okay and so when you talk about these the, the compound um hormone that and you work with this this company you develop it based on the women's needs correct okay. so each person um is is managed individually because each person's needs are different mm -hmm. and and i get a blood level at one month after and well i get blood levels before i start so know how much i need to give in the first place then after one month after insertion i get another blood level to see what the peak value would be at four weeks. And then I get another blood sample at three months to see how that particular individual absorbs the hormone. Um, and a lot of that depends on the activity level of the, of the woman who's received it, as well as how fast she just metabolizes in general. And then once I see that um, absorption rate, then I know how to calculate the next insertion, which can be anywhere from three to four months after the initial insertion. Okay. Um, I have two questions. And then the first one was, so, you know, are there any risks in, in this type of therapy? Well, that's where the confusion has arisen. So 
back in 2002, the, um, there was a big study called the Women's Health Initiative that was started in, in multiple centers across the United States at research centers, different universities. And they tried to answer some of those questions, really what is the risk benefit of, of hormone therapy in, after the woman has stopped making her own hormones. And the, um, the study was interesting in that it had several uh, tens of thousands of women in it, but they lumped together women aged 50 to 79. So that was a problem right there. Mm-hmm. There's a, a huge difference between someone who's first gone into menopause and someone who's you know, never had hormones and is now age 78 and is starting hormone therapy. So that was one problem. They, um, the good thing about the study is it was prospective. In other words, they didn't have to rely on the woman's memory to say, okay, when did you take the hormones? How much did you take? How long did you take it? This was all calculated in the study. But when it was all um, finished and done after about five years, when the study was published, as I said, they used women age 50 to 79. So they said that there was a slight increased risk of breast cancer for women who took the Premarin and Provera, but women who took Premarin alone did not have the increased risk of breast cancer. So that was kind of a confusing, conflicting um, statistic, which is actually pretty much where we stood over the last 20 years, where some of the studies said yes, and some of the studies said no. And, and of course, every woman has individual own risk factors, which aren't addressed in this big study. They tried to use a control group, but still, it's not quite the same. And then um, they said there was a slight increased risk of heart attack and stroke for women who took Premarin and Provera, but for the women who took Premarin alone, the estrogen, there was no increased risk of heart attack, but a slight increased risk of stroke. So it was at that point in 2002 that all the headlines hit the paper that, oh my gosh, you know, this is a danger. You're going to get cancer or die of a heart attack <laughs> if you take hormones. Yeah. But so, you're talking to, uh, talking to a group that are well into their 70s in some cases, which it would have had even if they were on were not on exactly, this, this study. Okay. Exactly. The mean age was 65 in the study. So it didn't tell me anything about what to do for women in their 50s, for example. Mm-hmm. We have found since that time that there's this, what we call a window of opportunity, we meaning the studies that have been done, and um, the main one of which is called the ELITE study. It's early um, intervention with estrogen therapy versus late intervention. So women who start their hormones within their first five to 10 years of menopause reap the great, greatest benefit of using hormone therapy. And when the study was actually reanalyzed in 2011 using all the same data that was in the original study, but dividing it into age groups, they found that women who started their hormones in their 50s did not have an increased risk of heart attack, stroke, or breast cancer. But women who were in their 60s and 70s, they already had an increased risk of those two conditions anyway because mm-hmm. of their age right. and other health factors in in them or in their family. So, but that part never hit the news. And so that's what all the confusion, a lot of the confusion is relating to these studies that seem to be conflicting. But the most recent study, as I said, that's that's been showing the benefit outweighing the risk for the majority of women is the elite study. And that one... Um, 
actually showed a benefit in cardio protection for women who started their hormones early. There are other studies that look at impact on brain, and it's really blood flow to the brain. Some dementia is related to decreased blood flow. It's ischemic dementia. But this study shows, and others that have been done with mostly with animal models because no living human wants to brain biopsy, but uh, with the animal studies, it shows that the, brain, the blood flow to the brain has been maintained for those who get early supplementation with their hormones as opposed to those that had their ovaries removed and no estrogen given. That's interesting information with the the studies, and it makes me feel a lot better for sure hearing that there's more recent studies that, that, are, provided, um, that are providing more benefit for women. So let's talk about some of the benefits of the therapy, of the hormone therapy. Right. So when women start having a decrease in their hormone levels, they become symptomatic besides just having hot flashes and night sweats. They can have um, difficulty sleeping, as I mentioned. They can have fatigue. They can have forgetfulness or irritability, or usually they don't even realize some of those things themselves until one of their family members mentions Gee, honey, how how are you doing today? <laughs> I get it. Yeah. So, so sometimes it's with a little nudge that women come in and ask about. Well, what can I do about this? But the other things that are that are really important that maybe aren't as noticeable, although they can be too, is just that that energy piece, which I have found to be really um, crucial for quality of life. As I said, just having that vim and vigor back. And it also relates to um, being able to have sexual activity because for some women, they get such dryness, uh, vulvovaginal dryness, that it's painful to have intercourse. And that's uh, really a deterrent from wanting to have any intimate relationships. And also there's just the, um, the desire factor, which can say, well, honey, I'd rather go to sleep now than, <laughs> you know, just I'll talk to you tomorrow or something like that. Anyway, that that important piece of a relationship um, also needs to be addressed. So those are things that we can see externally, but there's also the benefit of um, the estrogen and testosterone to reduce the insulin insensitivity, which is a precursor to diabetics um, developing that uh, inability to utilize their blood sugar. And associated with that metabolic syndrome is also the weight gain around the mid-abdomen, which a lot of women experience um, as they get into menopause, and just weight gain in general. But that's the usual spot, just right where we don't want to see it. And that can be um, managed very effectively by maintaining a hormone balance. There's also the piece about the, the cardiovascular health that I spoke about with some of the more recent studies. And because 50% of women die of heart disease, that's a crucial factor to really pay attention to both in our earlier years of our life, but really importantly after menopause as well. And then there's um, our bones, which start to um, get out of balance because there's more breakdown of the bone than building up of the bone that occurs when there's lack of estrogen and testosterone. So that's a huge piece for bone health, which women in their 50s may not think, well, well, you know, I'm fine. But right. when they're 65 and 70 and they fall and get a hip fracture, or and then that goes down the, the path to many other types of consequential illnesses. Right, right. So 
you're on hormone replacement therapy and do the hot flashes and the other um, menopausal symptoms, do they just completely go away? Are they, you know, do I feel like I'm in my 30s again? Let me ask you that. Yeah. So most women who are um, lacking hormones and develop the hot flashes and night sweats will actually start to have benefit within the first one to two days. They'll notice some improvement. Really? Wow. And of all the studies that have been done, other things to use to treat hot flashes like the soy products or the estrogen or the black cohosh or some of the other herbal um, options that are available over the counter are not nearly as effective as hormones are to treat those symptoms. In terms of the, the mood and the sleep and the, uh, all of those other factors, they start to improve within one to two weeks, usually the peak levels of the hormones are achieved by absorption at one month. And so that's when women will have a great, will really notice the resolution of their symptoms. Um, just a word about the other issues that come up with this in, in terms of health history, and that's for women who've had breast cancer. I know that was one of your other questions you had. And it's it's a real, um, a real important question because, of course, some breast cancers are estrogen receptor positive. As mine was. <laughs> yeah. So the, um, the woman who has the estrogen receptor positive breast cancer is not a candidate for hormone therapy. However, there are some early studies looking at um, possibly using testosterone and the aromatase inhibitor meaning none of the testosterone will be converted to estrogen and just using testosterone alone rather than estrogen for the women who've had breast cancer, who've had both breasts prophylactically removed and no evidence of recurrence after, you know, a few years. Okay. The problem is it's really difficult to do those studies because there isn't any research board that's going to allow someone to start a new study with that in mind because... We don't have enough data right now right. to say it's safe. Yeah, and just the risk, the additional risk you're getting, yeah. Right, right. I don't know. You tell me about all these benefits. I might be willing to, to raise my hand to that study. I mean, <laughs> you, you do because you, you feel so abnormal when you start going through all of these these different um, symptoms that you have when you go through menopause and you think, I just want to be like I was in my 30s and, you know, but but also, you know, you, you nailed it with my breast cancer. It's estrogen driven. I've had both of um, both breasts removed, but now it's kind of like, how do you treat somebody like me? And, yeah. you know, it's kind of like the luck of the draw. I was long, I was on the young side when, when I um, was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was early. It's a very low you know, low risk right. of it coming back, especially now, but it's like, still, it's just like, <sighs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's a discussion I would really want to have in detail with someone as well as with their, probably with their oncologist, if they're still being followed by one. Um, because of course it's a team approach to this kind of a condition, but, um, I've actually spoken with, um, researchers at the Mayo Clinic, both in, um, Minnesota and, um, it's the NIH and, and they're looking at more retrospective, like you said, where they've had women who've had breast cancer who have used some of these therapies and to see if them, it is safe to use. But that's still a big open question. In those cases, what I usually do is focus on the vaginal symptoms. Mm-hmm. 
um, and try to correct that part. And we have various things now that we can do for that. And other ways to help with uh, vim and vigor, which yep. <laughs> is, uh, is a difficult one. But um, so there's still a lot of research being done there. Okay. And hopefully we'll get some answers soon. That's good. So going back to to your average person, because I know I'm outside of the box on most of them, how long um, will they have to take or be on the hormone replacement therapy? Is it as long as they want to fill those symptoms or does it, does your body start to balance out later or is that a a life thing? (laughs) That's a good question too. So, uh, some of the studies like the WHI study talked about the increased risk after four years of use. So that's when that number was thrown out that you can use it, you know, lowest dose, but up to four years and then it has to be stopped. The North American Menopause Society, in view of all those studies that have been done since that time, and um, they feel that as long as the benefit outweighs the risk, that women can continue their therapy. And that, um, again, because of the timing hypothesis, if it started early in menopause, they can continue it out until they're as long as they want to, until it still is a benefit over a risk. And there's no magic time that it has to be stopped. And in the past, uh, some of the data about the four years to five years use was probably because there was a breast cancer there already, and then it grew more rapidly, Mm -hmm. and that's why it showed up at four years instead of at 10 years when it would otherwise show up. Okay, so so say somebody does come off of the the therapy after four years, is it like walking into a wall, or is it is it gradual? Yeah, so of course the the body isn't making the the hormones like it was when the ovaries were functioning, mm-hmm. so um, some of the symptoms will recur and to varying degrees. So it's not like you treat it for four years and it's all done and over, like taking an antibiotic, you finish it and it's done. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen with um, hormones. And so some of the symptoms will start to come back, like the vaginal dryness and some of the lack of um, interest in sex and the lack of energy and decreased muscle mass and reversal of the insulin insensitivity and all those things will all be there. But the most striking thing for some women is just that their hot flashes can come back. And Mm -hmm. some of the feeling of they don't have the energy anymore and they can't sleep anymore. And you know, all of those things that they feel, oh, well, maybe the benefits for those, you know, quality of life issues really do outweigh any potential risk. And that's pretty much what the North American Menopause Society has come to the conclusion. And they had a position statement that was published in August of 2017 that stated that. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So, um, one of the questions I had is, is I know, and I know this is not new. I mean, you talked about early 1900s when they started doing this. Is this something that, like the pellet therapy, is that covered by insurance? Or is this more of a, um, an elective uh, type of treatment? Right. So the, I mean, one of the early um, um, discoveries by the pharmaceutical companies is if they changed the... <laughs> you know, the formulation, so it's not a natural hormone anymore, but it's a synthetic, they can patent a synthetic. Mm -hmm. Natural hormones can't be patented. So therefore, um, they're not um, FDA approved per se. And that's why I went into the big discussion about why I think these are safe and they're and they're studied and they're tested to make sure they're they're they are what they say they are. Whereas the FDA would normally do that for like the Premarin and Provera, but they don't do that for natural 
hormones. So as women started focusing more on wanting to go with the natural hormones, which has um, other benefits over synthetic, uh, clearly, um, they were not covered by insurance because they're not FDA approved. Gotcha. Okay. But anyway, even though they are FDA attested, they're not, they don't have that approval. And so the, and they're developed in, the, in an FDA approved lab. Right. You know, so. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why the natural hormones aren't covered. And as a consequence, um, that's why it's um, paid for with um, one's own resources. Okay. Okay. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. So if a woman wanted to, um, to come have, you know, talk to you, I mean, it, you know, you've talked about the symptoms and everything. Is there, is, does it, should a younger woman kind of come and talk to you in the beginning and say, okay, what should I look for? I mean, I guess who's your ideal patient? Who do you want to pick up the phone today and call? Yeah. So that is the, my target group. And <laughs> which is why I really got interested in this in the first place is because I wanted women to be able to understand and not be afraid of hormones and understand their proper place in their functioning at the most ideal time, which is in early menopause, and that women don't have to continue to suffer um, or, you know, have symptoms and just say, oh, be strong, put up with it, you know, pat pat her on the hand and say, well, that you'll be fine. That That's sounds something not... f- that a male would say. <laughs> that, that doesn't fly anymore. So. No, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so really, um, as I said, when the symptoms start to occur, 45 to 55, then I like to talk women, uh, talk to women at that time. And so I do an hour to an hour and a half long consultation initially where I can see if, you know, answer questions, educate, talk about whether this person is a candidate now or what to look for in the future to know when that might be um, an ideal time for them to consider doing some kind of replacement, whether it just be estrogen or estrogen and testosterone, or just testosterone alone. So I have some women who are still menstruating, but they have low levels of testosterone, and they have had um, really vast improvement in their symptoms when they start the testosterone therapy. Yeah, I don't know why that word always scares me. I'm thinking, oh, testosterone. No, I don't want any of that. But you're you're saying, if, if I remember right, you said that that actually breaks down into estrogen. Correct. Okay. Yeah, not all of it, but there's a good portion of it. And and women have always had some testosterone. So it's, right, it sounds like, oh my gosh, I'm going to turn into a man. But (laughs) no, (laughs) for men, they actually have 10 times the level of testosterone that women would have even with treatment. Okay. Okay, gotcha. But I also do have some male patients because they're they're also um, finding that as they age, they're dropping their testosterone Mm -hmm. levels, and they really become very symptomatic from that too. And there are health issues for them. There's increased risk of heart disease if their testosterone levels are low. Interesting. That'll definitely be our next topic with you for sure. Okay. So um, tell people how they can get in touch with you if they have questions or if they want to come meet with you and learn more about um, the pellet therapy and the other treatments that you provide. Yes, I would love to talk with people and I would like to um, advise people who want more information. They can contact the website of the um, Hormone Therapy Centers of America. It's ht-ca. Uh, dot com and we'll put that on the website too when the the podcast is posted as well as your contact information for your office that would be great so that they can call and come and stop by 
Yeah. And you have got a great office. I've seen it and it's beautiful. So is there anything else that you wanted to add on or anything um, more that you would like women out there to know when it comes to menopause? I guess that's it for now. And thank you for all your questions. And I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and to let people understand and hear about what's going on in Fresno. It's great. It's this is this has been very eye opening to me. And I'll definitely be be following up with you and keeping in touch um, for the future when I feel like I'm more crazy than I am today. <laughs> I'll ask your husband. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm like, kidding. yeah. I'm like, check, check, as we're going down this list. So, but thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank you. <laughs>